All right, I think we're going to get started. Uh, happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome to today's uh, complimentary webinar where Dr. Love Bordowski, Chief Risk Officer here at Star Mountain and editor of the Wall Street Journal's The Daily Shot, will be discussing uh, a potential U.S. recession. Uh, my name is John Polis, and I am the Chief Operating Officer here at Star Mountain. We are a specialized asset management firm focused on investing in the U.S. lower middle market. We employ a data-driven approach to provide value-added capital to finance growth initiatives of established small and medium-sized companies. Our platform is powered by custom-built technology and a deep and experienced team that has been investing in, this, in the lower middle market since 2001. Before I do hand over the reins to Lev, I did want to let you know that your audio is muted and will be for the entirety of the presentation. Also, as a disclaimer, I wanted to note that nothing presented in this webinar or in webinar materials constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase by Star Mountain interest in any investment product. We have allocated time at the end of the presentation for Q&A. If you do have a question, you can type it into the Q&A uh, chat box of your WebEx client that should be on the right. We will try to get to as many questions as possible before the hour is up. Lev, we uh, we had a lot of interest and we had uh, we had a, um, a fair amount of people register for this for this webinar today. So it must be uh, an, uh, a very interesting topic, and we're very happy to have you uh, here with us today to speak about it. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad to uh, join in this discussion. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of back and forth and you hear a lot of noise in the media. And uh, my goal today is kind of fly through a bunch of material and, and uh, take a, you know, a broader picture of, uh, you know, try to cut through the noise and, and see what, where we are with respect to recession. And, um, the conclusion that I've come to um, recently is that um, it's going to be a while. I mean, the, the next recession is going to happen, but it's going to be a while. So, uh, so let's get going. Okay, so <clears throat> a, lo a lot of stuff to cover today. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is, uh, you know, recession concerns. Why, why are people concerned about uh, session coming. Uh, then we'll look at uh, some of the signals we're, we're getting and, and what, what's been spooking the markets and uh, the media when it comes to uh, some of these recession signals. Then how have central banks responded? Um, and we, we'll take a look at the, the situation with the consumer. The consumer is a, is a huge portion of the U.S. economy and it's critical to take a look at. We'll also take a, a, a look at a couple of slides at, uh, on the U.S. housing market and what's going on there. Um, we'll see some, some more recent high-frequency uh, economic indicators. Uh, we're going to look at some, uh, what's the market telling us about, about the risk of recession? And what are the, uh, the various sentiment signals telling us? We're going to look at the global backdrop. Um, the uh, global economy is still highly interconnected, and so it's important uh, that we do that. Uh, and then we're going to, you know, there's obviously going to be some, some issues where people say, but, you know, what about this issue or that issue uh, that's still unresolved and that could lead to a recession? Um, and then we're going to look at risks. You know, what are the potential risks? There's no shortage of those. Um, and kind of uh, look at a few of them. Um, and then uh, we'll conclude with, with a couple of uh, interesting slides. So let, let's get going. Recession concerns. Um, so this, this expansion has been the longest on record, um, as you can see, and it, it just keeps on going. And, and that's, a, that's surprising. It surprised a lot of economists and analysts that that's, that's going to continue. And of course, once it's, you know, once it gets to this length, people are going to start saying, well, <laughs> it, you know, just historically, this cannot last uh, much longer. It's, it's got to end somewhere. And, and so that, that was kind of the first concern that people have raised. 
globally, if you look at you know, the world, um, you know, here's the kind of economic cycle. The bulk of the world world economy is in the slowdown mode. You know, there are a few, you know, a few countries that are in recession. There's, uh, there's a few small, you know, emerging market countries that are uh, recovering. A few emerging market countries that are uh, in expansion, but the bulk of the world's economy is in slowdown, and that that's another uh, sort of item that raises concerns. You know, the bulk of it. In the U.S., what spooked um, you know, um, the markets and, and economists has been the manufacturing slump, and. Uh, Manufacturing took a hit from um, from trade. It really was was that simple. It was it was trade uh, tariffs that uh, put brakes on um, both production and investment. And and, uh, and so here's the uh, U.S. manufacturing output. So this is hard data. This is actual manufacturing output, and it's been it's been contracting. Uh, but notice that we've seen this. Seen this movie before? It was right here, right? And and we didn't get into a recession back then, um, and so you know we're kind of in a similar place. And we'll talk about it. This is what uh, people refer to as uh, uh, another mini cycle. So you know, here's here's one cycle, and here's another cycle. Of course, manufacturing is a relatively small portion of the economy, and, and, and the concern was that, you know, can manufacturing drag um, services down with it? And uh, so uh, business surveys have been pointing to um, slowdown globally in, uh, in services as it follows manufacturing down because they're, they're interconnected. Um, so manufacturing tends to be kind of the leading the leading sector, and it, it can drag other other areas with it. Uh, but you know, in, in this this PMI measure, anything above 50 is still in expansion mode. So yes, services have slowed, uh, but they're still growing. And again, take a look at this interesting pattern. There's a there's a, there's a slowdown here, there's a slowdown here, and there's a slowdown here. So it's a, a third. It's called mini cycle that we're going through. Similarly, on on the right side, we have um, uh, uh, trade uh, in in goods and services, and, and you can see that services uh, trade has been has been slowing with uh, with manufacturing. We've talked about this before. Uh, there's uh, corporate leverage has. Has, has increased. Uh, so there's been there's been a lot of debt issuance, um, in, especially if you if you look at uh, absolute debt numbers or debt ratios to the GDP. Uh, you know, in particular, you know, there's growth and leveraged loans, and so people are concerned about you know this is not going to end well. Earnings calls, and this is globally, earnings calls, the, the uh, uh, biggest concern this year has been you know, late cycle, uh, meaning the, the cycle is, is ending. And so uh, uh, corporate executives are worried that among, you know, more than anything else, they're worried about um, you know, that, that we're, we're going to end the cycle, meaning hit a recession. Of course, the media uh, has been uh, very helpful in in terms of spooking uh, the markets and the consumer. You know, so so we have this uh, we have constant headlines. You know, we're we hitting a recession. We're going to be in a recession, and and you know, obviously, when when the consumer uh, hears about that, it, it becomes uh, you know become nervous and and less likely to make purchases or. More likely to, um, you know, and same similar with businesses, especially small businesses, less likely to hire, less likely to invest, and, and so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the, the consumer 
has indeed been nervous. At least uh, you know some of the soft data has shown that. So the the chart on the left is um, is you know, Google search activity for recession or next recession, and that that has been elevated. Uh, you know, kind of in the last year to year to two year year and a half probably has been elevated. Uh, so um, you know the, the public is concerned <clears throat> about uh, the U U.S. hitting a recession. Um, on the right, we have um, the unemployment rate in blue, and red is uh, appetite for buying uh, durable goods. Again, it's a survey from the University of Michigan, and it's inverted, right? So uh, it basically shows that the appetite for buying durable goods has decreased, and uh, you know, could that potentially bring the unemployment rate higher? Uh, and this is a pretty good fit. So, you know, if you just kind of look at this as kind of a, a, a scary uh, chart because it says, you know, the, the unemployment rate has bottomed. And, and th this is the kind of stuff that, that's been you know, worrying economists. So what are the signals that we're getting about uh, the economy being in the late phase of the economic cycle? the most famous one is the yield curve inversion. Um, so if you look at uh, longer-term yields, like the 10-year Treasury, and compare that to short-term yields, like the three-month Treasury bill, um, you know, that measure dipped into negative territory, which means that the shorter rates uh, were above the longer, longer rates. And, and that, as you see in the past, uh, was a signal um, or recession. Now, it's, it's worth noting that, you know, there, there could be quite a bit of distance between this inversion and, um, and when the recession actually hits. So, you know, if you look over here uh, in, the, in the late 80s, you had uh, you know, quite a bit of, uh, it was like a couple of years before between the inversion and, and when the recession actually hit. Um, and also, it's worth noting that the, just the fact that it, it rose, it, basically, we uh, the curve has straightened out. It's no longer inverted. Uh, doesn't mean that we're out of the woods. It just says, you know, the signal was there like it was before, and, and now it's just a matter of time before we hit a recession. That's what this says, right? Uh, now, people debate this, this, uh, the, the, the strength of the signal. Uh, for example, the Federal Reserve would say that uh, term premiums, the premium uh, investors uh, require to buy longer-term treasuries has declined. Uh, in fact, it's negative. And, and so because of that, the signal is not as, as strong as it was in, in previous years. This chart on, on the right is, is a similar one, except uh, it compares the 10-year treasury yield with the Fed funds rate. Um, and uh, that was also inverted. There are other sentiment indicators that, that show that we're clearly in the late phase of the economic cycle. Um, the, the one on the left is uh, the spread between uh, the conference board's consumer expectations versus current conditions. So if, the, if current conditions uh, index is much stronger than the expectations index, that tends to be a, a signal. And it was actually a pretty good, a pretty reliable signal recession. Similarly on the right is the spread between the um, conference board's uh, current situation index and the University of Michigan current situation index. Uh, and for some reasons historically uh, that spread uh, when it rises uh, peaks uh, is an is a indication of uh, an up, um, impending recession. Here are some other measures that, that people keep pointing to. I like this one in red. Uh, it's the uh, CEO expectations uh, versus um, consumer expectations. So if, this, if the CEOs, uh, CEOs that, that tend to be on the front line of, um, of the economy versus the consumer, it tends to be more of a lagging uh, measure of the economy. 
And so if, when the, the spread between uh, CEO expectations and consumer expectations goes, goes way into negative territory, as this has, it tends to be a, a, a good predictor of, uh, of recessions. And then uh, on the right is, is kind of a measure of, of output gap. And output gap in here, the way I, I defined it is simply uh, the ratio of the GDP to potential GDP. Potential GDP is a, is a calculated measure that, that basically says, you know, given the population growth or labor force growth and given the productivity growth, you know, how, how fast can the economy expand uh, you know, without generating a lot of inflation, and and that's that's kind of the, um, the this ratio is is an indicator of output gap, and you can see every time it peaked in the past, uh, we hit a recession, and uh, you know it appears to be peaking now. So you know, clear, clearly these are uh, indicators that that all point to us being the late phase of the economic cycle. And then there are recession models that are based on the yield curve and some other parameters. Uh, the one on the left, for example, is uh, from Moody's Analytics. The one on the right is from Oxford Economics. Um, and uh, the Oxford Economics is using the, um, the National, National Activity Index from the Chicago Fed and combines that with the yield curve indicator. And, and produces a, you know something that's above 50% probability of, of recession. It's worth pointing out that not all these models uh, have been giving the same signal. So here's a here's a, uh, a recession model from um, Morgan Stanley, and uh, yes, it's risen, but uh, you know the full model, which is the green line is only sitting at 11% uh, probability. So you've got to take these models with a grain of salt there, depending on, on sort of the assumptions that they're, they're using and, and which, which indicators they're t taking into account, you'll get a very different set of results. Uh, of course, professional forecasters um, have also been nervous about uh, possibility of recession. And um, so this is a, a survey from the Wall Street Journal of, of economists uh, measuring the probability of a recession in, in the next 12 months. That's been, you know, sort of uh, in the 30% type, type um, range, which, um, you know, is enough to get people nervous. So with all these... Uh, ugly little indicators from all over the place and and signs of uh, being late late phase of the economic cycle central banks obviously responded pretty forcefully um, and uh, you know just looking at the Fed we've had three rate cuts um, that, that's the chart on the left the chart on the right shows the Fed's balance sheet um, and you can see that within a matter of a couple of months, the Fed reversed some 40% of uh, the, all the quantitative tightening um, that, that it did very rapidly, right? Now, this, this jump here is, they, they wouldn't call it the quantitative easing. Um, uh, they, this is, uh, they will say, is, is in response to the squeeze in the repo market that we've had, uh, and that's that's a whole other presentation that, that we can uh, talk about. But um, nevertheless, you know, it's a pretty sizable increase in the balance sheet, uh, injecting liquidity into the market, which, you know, in general tends to be a, a positive uh, has a positive impact on on the economy. So. We'll see that if if you look at kind of the real economy, which is the uh, things like uh, auto loans and personal loans, you'll see you know Fed cutting rates uh, takes time to propagate through the real economy, and so this latest cut right here 
will result in, in lower uh, interest rates in the real economy. By the way, it already has resulted in, in lower mortgage rates, which we'll talk about shortly. But this uh, will definitely have a, a nice positive impact on, uh, on the consumer and the economy as a whole. Globally, uh, central banks um, went, went uh, all out and started easing. And you can see that 60% uh, of the world's uh, central banks are, are now easing. This, this percentage, 60%, is, is the highest in, uh, in a decade. And the chart on the right uh, shows that, um, you know, this is basic central bank, the number of central banks hiking minus the ones easing. You can see what happened uh, just in, in uh, recent months. It's, uh, it's pretty spectacular. They basically, everybody from, uh, from, China, as we saw uh, yesterday, to uh, Mexico, everybody's been easing. I mean, the Russians have been easing. Um, you know, obviously the European Central Bank, uh, all over the world. So, so it's uh, it's a pretty synchronized central bank easing, and that again tends to be uh, a, a nice tailwind for economic growth. But let's t quickly talk about the consumer. Um, and, and it's, it's critical, right? The U.S. consumer is critical. And why is that? Well, because U.S. consumer is 17% of the world GDP. That is larger than China's whole economy. Again, the U.S. consumer is larger than China's whole economy. Uh, and so it's, it's, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's a, a critical component of global growth. And so it's, the, the health of the U.S. consumer is, is vital in terms of um, you know, figuring out whether we're going to get a recession. And this chart, uh, you know, it's been shown quite a bit, but, but probably not enough, um, is the fact that unlike sort of the previous decades, um, consumer leverage has been declining. So if you look at, um, in this case, it's, it's uh, household debt to ratio to disposable income. You can see that, that you know, ongoing persistent decline. So consumer continues to deleverage, right? And, and that, that's not an indication of any, any sort of uh, um, debt, consumer debt driven economic uh, issue. Now people will say, well, you know, they're, they're, the consumer is facing other problems like, um, you know, expensive health care and, and um, other issues. And that's correct, you know. So uh, there, there are definitely pockets of weakness in the consumer economy. But overall, uh, you know, this, this data is, is unmistakable. The, the consumer balance sheet is, uh, is in good shape, relatively. The other thing that's been happening is kind of interesting is um, consumers have been, you know, U.S. households have been saving, and, and the saving rate uh, continues to climb. So, uh, and that, again, that's a positive because if you can imagine a, um, a slow, an economic slowdown where um, you have maybe slower employment growth, um, or, or even increased unemployment, uh, given the fact that consumers have saved, um, and, you know, more have savings, it, it's, it's an indication that, uh, you know, the, the, again, balance sheets are healthier than, than they have been in the past. So it's definitely a positive. Then the housing market. So uh, as, as the Fed was tightening over, um, over the last sort of few years, um, mortgage rates, uh, w you know, went through the roof with relative relative to recent uh, levels, um, and uh, and it created a problem for the housing market. So we had um, so here's the you know here's the Fed tightening, Treasury yields going up, and uh, 
you know, people say, well, it's not a big deal. I mean, 5% on the mortgage rate is not a big deal. In this economy, it is a big deal, right? It, it is uh, when, you know, housing prices are high, uh, uh, home buyers are very sensitive to mortgage rates. So, so going from, you know, so sort of um, you know, 3.5% to 5% is a big move, right? And that started to pressure the, the housing market and so on. But, you know, starting late next year, we had a, a huge reversal in this. Um, and you know, this is, an, if you think about it uh, in terms of the Fed, this is an equivalent to the Fed cutting rates a few times, right? So it's, it's a real boost, uh, this move. And you can see that uh, showing up in um, Home Builder Optimism Index. So you can see Home Builder Optimism dropping as... Uh, as mortgage rates go up and, and rising as, as mortgage rates go down. It's a, it's a direct uh, relationship. And this particular index is home builders' view on uh, single-family single home sales over the next six months. So we'll see a rebound this year. And uh, just as we saw yesterday, um, Building permits hit the uh, highest level since uh, since 2007. So all of a sudden you had this again. You had a drop that's more mortgage-driven drop and a rebound uh, as you know you have pent-up demand and lower mortgage rates. And, and all of a sudden you have this um, um, you know this real improvement. And you can see um, here um, it, you know, economic surveys showed uh, you know one you know 1385 uh, building permits and you can see the actual number that came out was substantially larger so um, you know construction uh, residential construction is really picking up um, and and that's um, and it's a big driver for the economy you know housing by itself is not a, a significant portion of the GDP it you know it's, it's substantial but it's not a, a huge portion but the knock-on effects that it creates in the economy is significant. And so, you know, things like, uh, you know, durable goods spending, um, housing, um, furniture, electric appliances, kitchenware, and so on, all of these things, um, housing is a big driver of those. So uh, this, this, this jump is, is important for the economy. Okay, so let's look at the, uh, you know, other sort of recent economic indicators. Um, here's the uh, leading economic index. Basically, um, if you look at multiple leading uh, economic indicators and you turn them into a, an index, uh, the black line is what that is. But the black line is, is interesting, but it's not really, what's interesting is are the yearly changes in, in that index, and that's the green, green um, curve here. And again, you can see this interesting phenomenon going on. So we had three downturns, right? One, two, three. Um, but we're still in positive territory, right? And, uh, you know, anytime we, we're, we're about to hit recessions, we typically went into negative territory. Here, 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 and so on. We're still in positive territory. And, and we, again, those, these are the three uh, mini-cycles that we've had in this expansion. And uh, what are they? Well, uh, this first downturn, uh, you're talking about 2011, which is the uh, Eurozone crisis where... Uh, for those who, who were in the markets in 2011, remembers a pretty scary time, certainly not as scary as 2008, but pretty darn close in some instances. There was pressure on financials. Um, um, we've had uh, the U.S. Uh, credit rating downgrade. Uh, we've had the, uh, the debt ceiling. Um, and, uh, and, and in Europe, uh, things got really frightening because... Uh, there was concern that Italy will default, and Italy defaulting will bring down the financial system uh, globally, basically, uh, and put the, the world into a depression um, because the, the, the world is so exposed to 
Italian debt. It's such a huge part of the of the global debt markets that uh, it will propagate through this. So I remember talking to somebody at a large German bank and, and I said, how are you feeling about uh, about the situation? And they said, well, you know, if Greece goes under, no big deal. You know, Portugal goes under, no big deal. If Italy goes under, uh, we're, we're, we're out, right? Basically, it's going to break them. And so, uh, so this was the, that first uh, dip. The second dip was um, basically had a situation where the, the dollar rallied sharply, uh, which put pressure on, on um, U.S. manufacturers. And at the same time, um, China uh, had a devaluation in its currency and uh, had a sharp slowdown in its economic growth. And so that, that was this one. You know, this is when oil, price, oil prices dipped down to, um, you know, low 20s. And uh, there was there was concern about deflation and, and issues like that, you know, negative interest rates in the United States and uh, and so on. So that that was that that second one, and the third one is is the trade related downturn uh, which we've had. So so we had these three uh, uh, little mini cycles, which is a pretty important point here. There are other economic indicators that also suggest that we're not anywhere close to a recession. Uh, so the one on the left is uh, it's kind of an interesting one. It uh, shows deposits at uh, U.S. Uh, commercial banks, and you can see that a little rebound in, in the uh, in the mini cycle rebound in deposits. The chart on the right is um, uh, credit credit sides macro index, and it, and again, it's it's a little bit of a of a decline here, but nothing like we've seen uh, prior to previous recessions. So, uh, what are the market sentiment, uh, market or sentiment signals that that we can we can point to? Um, so here's one. This is this is uh, gold, the Goldman Sachs Financial Conditions Index. Um, and the higher the number, the tighter the financial conditions. Uh, you can see the spike here. This was the end of last year when, when we had a 20% crash in the, in the stock market. Um, and, uh, you know, things got pretty dicey and, and uh, credit spreads blew out. And, and so you had this tightening of financial conditions. This shows continuing easing of financial conditions in part because the market rallied, uh, you know, rates declined, um, the Fed eased, and so you had this uh, this nice easing. So, you know, uh, that that shows improvement. The stock market is also uh, telling us that there's less concern about, about a, a recession. So this is a little subtle, but it basically takes a, a basket of stocks that benefit from economy being latent in the economic cycle or ending the economic cycle ending divides by uh, the um, a basket of stocks that that get hurt by being late in the economic cycle and that ratio um, you know has been declining the markets becoming less concerned about uh, the economic cycle ending right? declines Um, fund flows also uh, show that uh, the market is less concerned about, um, you know, a recession. So yeah, you see the the green line is global composite PMI. It's a, a business activity around the world um, has been has been showing uh, signs of stress. And again, here are the three cycles: one, two, three. Right. And uh, and this show the fund flow uh, indicator shows that the, the market is becoming less concerned and signaling that we'll probably have a recovery in in business activity. Uh, the credit markets are also telling us there's not that much concern, uh, you know, in in the credit markets about a recession. This is uh, triple B corporate bond spreads, and they tend to uh, rise before e each of the previous recessions. 
uh, and they have been declining lately. So, so another interesting indicator. A fund manager survey from, from Merrill Lynch. Um, so fund managers are now less concerned about uh, a slowdown, a significant slowdown in the next 12 months. So you can see that rebound. Again, cycle one, cycle two, cycle three. So global backdrop. Global indicators are, are also um, helpful, um, particularly if you look at surveys like PMI surveys, um, like automobiles, output index, or manufacturing export uh, orders. Uh, you, you see a bit of a rebound here. And uh, that, these are these are high frequency indicators, early signals of the, that um, companies are, are becoming a little more upbeat. Uh, so there's a, you know, that's that's the rebound. This chart is from Morgan Stanley, and and it shows again three cycles: one, two, three. Um, you know, uh, develop mark, develop mark DM deleveraging. So this is the uh, eurozone crisis. Uh, you know, China slowed down and U.S. manufacturing slowed down, and so on. Uh, and here's the here's the trade trade related mini cycle, and you can see the the, the forecast is is a rebound here. Um, so it's a, what they call mini cycle recovery. Capital formation, another another indicator. So if you look at kind of the economic strength around the world, uh, you, you see a little bit of a of a rebound, and you know this is a percentage of economies that are that are growing above trend, and that is um, um, suggesting that uh, capital formation, you know, business investment will will rebound. Just overall, globally, um, the the percentage of economies in contraction is not scary uh, relative to say 2011. Uh, so um, there's nothing here that's telling us that you know there's a you know trend to the to the downside. It just doesn't look that unusual. Um, even though there's a slowdown, it's not a, it's not um, scary. another interesting chart from from uh, Morgan Stanley shows the spread between um, the global uh, economy growth excluding the US and the US so so the, so the rest of the world versus the US you know, the spread and so you can see the rest of the world is slowing 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 and and the US uh, maintaining its growth and effectively keeping the rest of the world from going into a recession effect. Um, and, and then, you know, the U.S. has slowed now, and the, the rest of the world is starting to rebound, which is what Morgan Stanley forecasts, and that's expected to pull the U.S. out of its slowdown, or at least become a, a tailwind for, for the U.S. Uh, economic growth. So kind of an interesting uh, trend here. Of course, there's uh, all these lingering questions um, you know, about the corporate leverage, the consumer, and so on. So let's take a look at those real quick. Um, you look at the high yield markets. Interesting enough, uh, they don't look as leveraged as, as some people have been worried about. Uh, investment grade is probably you know the leverage trend. Investment grade has been has been more of a concern, but. In a, in a high yield market, which is uh, more vulnerable to a slowdown, things are not bad. And part of the reason is that earnings have been uh, have been really strong. And with with earnings uh, earnings growth, um, you know, solved a lot of leverage problems. So uh, these charts show debt to EBITDA, you know, uh, basically debt to earnings, 
and this is debt to, debt to assets and so leverage has obviously risen uh, since the um, sort of 2010 level but it's it's not crazy um, similarly if you look at interest coverage ratios improved uh, because uh, you know these firms have locked um, some very low interest rates uh, long-term uh, long-term financing so on the credit side it, the situation isn't dire by any stretch. You know, companies are leveraged, especially investment grade, and there, there's some issues in certain sectors, but it's not dire. This this is kind of a, an interesting macro chart. It basically says, look, the GDP um, of uh, of the U the U.S. GDP is is growing faster uh, than the 10-year Treasury yield. If you think of the GDP as a proxy for corporate uh, earnings, and uh, the 10-year Treasury yield as a proxy for uh, financing costs, the spread indicates that you know we're we're in a pretty good shape right now. We're, we're uh, you know growth outpaces um, interest rates. It's just a sort of a, a, an interesting way of looking at it. And by the way, when it comes to the consumer, there are some discrepancies uh, in terms of surveys. Uh, we, we saw um, the University of Michigan survey pointing to um, consumer concerns about buying um, some buying uh, certain goods and, and things like that. Uh, the Bloomberg survey um, says that the buying climate index is actually in great shape. In, in fact, it's a, a record level. And again, there are methodologies about how these services were conducted, who they were targeting, and so on. But it basically says that this particular thing is, is telling us it's not a, um, it really isn't a much of a concern when it comes to the consumer at this point. So yes, uh, there's no question that the economy is slowing. It's, you know, potentially could slow dramatically. I mean, we could have this quarter GDP growth could be you know, one and a half percent or even lower. Um, and this is a forecast from Oxford Economics. But we're not going down to zero. So that that's the kind of the story here. So what are the downside risks to this? Um, here's a good chart from Moody's Analytics, and, and it shows uh, on the y-axis the likelihood of, of a shock and on the on this axis, it's the um, how severe the shock will be in terms of the economy. And you know, here we have manufacturing recession. We're effectively already there, so we have manufacturing recession. But its impact on the uh, on the economy uh, isn't as as bad because the U.S. is a service economy. So so there's uh, um, it's it's a it's definitely a drag, but it's not dramatic. Uh, and there are other things like you know Trump impeachment and so on, which which are not really that relevant for uh, for the economy. Um, you know, of course, the the big one is trade, and you know there are other things here: European debt crisis, which is unlikely. Uh, the, you know, Fed chair removed, um, also unlikely. But uh, but you know these things are possible, and and it's something to think. About. Trade, of course, is the is the most important thing. Uh, you know, the, the this chart on the left shows the impact of uh, all the tariffs, um, and uh, you know how much there will be a drag on on economic growth. Uh, you can see that that escalates, and the chart on the right is the kind of the the, do, the dollar amount of tariffs uh, over time, and you can see that that sort of escalating as well. There are other risks to to uh, the economy. You know, one that people keep talking about is a potential uh, oil spike, um, where you have um, some sort of a crisis that creates a shock to oil, you know oil. And and the answer here is uh, it's not a big deal for the U.S. because the U.S. is is now um, fairly independent when it comes to energy. Number one, number two, the U.S. economy is. Uh, is far less energy intensive than it used to be. 
so per per dollar of GDP generated, you need a lot less oil. And so uh, oil price spike, you know, could be troublesome. You know, gasoline prices going to, you know, five, six, six dollars a gallon. It, it's definitely going to spook the consumer. But it's not uh, as devastating as, as, as it would have been, uh, you know, a decade ago, for example. Uh, a bigger concern for me is, uh, is, is a further increase in, in the dollar. Uh, we, we saw that the dollar rising in, in 2014-15 led to a, a mini-cycle downturn. Uh, and, you know, there's certainly a concern about that uh, going forward. The dollar is one of the bigger threats. You know, strong dollar uh, creates a real problem for the U.S. and, and for, for uh, the global economy. So in conclusion, there are two charts I just want to share. Uh, one is, yes, it's been, this has been the, um, uh, the longest expansion in history, but it also has been one of the slowest, right? It's a really slow uh, expansion relative to, to history. And what, what, what is that? that just, that's telling us that because we had, uh, the economy got hit multiple times along the way with these three mini cycles, right? And that kept the economy from expanding too quickly. And when you, when you, when you don't expand, expand too quickly, you don't build the frothiness, the, the financial excess that you t tend to build in a fast-growing economy. And so uh, these, these sort of mini-cycles kept growth low and allowed for the expansion to, to continue. Uh, without hitting a recession. It's kind of an interesting aspect of, of this, this process. As a result, this, this uh, is the um, uh, heat map of uh, financial excess, uh, financial excess monitor. And uh, you can see, um, you know, if you look at it across the different sectors, you can see a lot of red here prior to the uh, financial crisis. So you can see housing, uh, ha uh, housing um, excess, uh, frothiness, uh, you know, commercial real estate, consumer credit, um, you know, household leverage, uh, and banks. So you see this a lot of red here. Post-recession, uh, particularly now, there's not much going on. I mean, commercial real estate, you know, there's a little bit of a frothiness here and there, um, but it's, it's okay. And, you know, obviously the, the federal government has been leveraging up, but um, that's not an immediate issue. That's a longer-term issue. Uh, so this heat map says, well, we, ha we don't have the financial excess of, uh, that we've seen prior to earlier recessions. And part of the reason is the economy has grown slowly, and we've had these mini-cycles that kept people nervous. And so uh, people didn't borrow, uh, companies didn't borrow as much as they tend to uh, when, when they're, you know, economic growth is really fast. So, so that's, and that, in, in, the, in, in effect, is what's going to keep uh, this expansion con uh, continuing for some time uh, because we just don't have this, this sort of buildup of excess. So that's it. Thank you very much. Uh, just before we go, I just want to say I want to thank all these uh, uh, great organizations that provided charts for for this presentation, um, and uh, let's uh, let's see if we can take any, take some questions. Thanks, thanks very much, Lev. Uh, the, the the data doesn't lie, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the charts are, are so helpful when trying to to look at this, uh, you know, very logically. Um, a, a big focus of the presentation you mentioned quite a few times was, you know, the 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 uh, trade war. Uh, impact, um, it, you, know, you know, given that, you know, first of all, what does the data show regarding who's quote unquote winning the trade war? And you know, given that China is the second largest economy, you know, can the U.S. you know avoid a recession if China continues to decline? Yeah. So uh, a couple of things on that. Uh, I, I don't think anybody is winning the trade war. It, it, it hurts everybody, right? It hurt the U.S., it, uh, it hurt China, and it hurt Europe big time simply because, you know, Germans can't sell as many cars to China. You can see what it did to their economy. 
uh, simple things like that. Uh, but uh, so so it was it, the 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 latest uh, downturn was the result of of this of the trade war. Uh, so both the U.S. and China have slowed down. What's interesting is um, both the U.S. and China are now showing signs of a, a, a small rebound. Uh, part of it is China's economy is uh, gradually restructuring in that it's, it's focusing more on domestic consumption and exporters are finding some other markets. Um, you know, one of the things that happened, for example, is some of the goods that China tends to uh, export to the U.S., they're now funneling through Vietnam and, and maybe some other countries, uh, basically um, saying, well, if you don't want to buy directly from us, we'll uh, send it to another country, repackage it there, and, and you know, re-export it. So this sort of bilateral, uh, bilateral tariffs are, are damaging, but there are loopholes around them that, that people find. But more importantly, I think the Chinese economy has become more resilient and not as export-oriented as it used to be, uh, and so they can weather this. And obviously the U.S. can weather it as well. If you continue to escalate, right, and tariffs keep going up, it will create further uncertainty, and, and uh, if, particularly if you hit consumer products, which is what uh, the Trump administration has been threatening to do uh, in December. And, and if we get hit with those tariffs, uh, you know, we'll spook the consumer. Uh, and, uh, you know, so you could, you could have an issue there. So that, that's the concern. You didn't, you didn't uh, mention at all, um, I don't believe you did mention at all in your presentation, um, any impact of what's going on in Hong Kong, what's going on in, uh, in the UK with Brexit, um, any risks there? Yeah, so uh, I actually view Hong Kong as a bigger risk than Brexit. Uh, here's here's the story with Brexit. Number one, I don't think we're going to get a hard Brexit simply because there is a deal in place now, and I think the the conservatives in the UK will 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 gain majority in Parliament, and I think we'll just get they'll pass the deal, and and uh, you will get Brexit, which will be painful for the UK. Uh, but it's not, it's going to be it's not going to be a no deal Brexit, um, and uh, the impact on the U.S. will I think will be minimal. In regard to Hong Kong, that could definitely escalate further. Uh, particularly, we, we saw yesterday with the Senate, um, um, you know, doing what they did in terms of uh, passing this this uh, law about. Uh, supporting the, the demonstrators. And, and you know, that could create further tensions with China. Uh, you could see a crackdown. All sorts of other things could happen that it could create a problem for the U.S.-China trade deal um, and, you know, escalation of... of so it could, it could feed into the trade war, basically, is what I'm saying. Any other... <laughs> geopolitical risks that should be on our radar? Yes, yeah, so uh, a, a good example would be a U.S. military involvement in, 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 in the Middle East. For example, um, a, a, a shooting war with, with Iran. Uh, you know, Iran, is, Iran is not Iraq, right? Iran is, is, a, is a massive military power. Uh, hugely popular, you know, it's got a huge population. It, it's, it has a lot of control over the movement of oil. And, uh, you know, a, um, a shooting war out there uh, could become uh, pretty ugly. It, it, it could potentially tip um, global growth into a recession, depending on how bad it gets. So that's an example of something geopolitically. Obviously, North Korea could, could do the same. But uh, that's that's much less likely to, to happen in this environment. So, so switching over to uh, locally to the U.S., um, a lot of a lot of talk regarding what ifs based on who gets elected. What 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 are the thoughts there? Um. So. <laughs> if you look at the spectrum of the. Um, Democratic nomination process, um, 
you know, it's a pretty broad spectrum of people. Um, and if you get somebody like uh, Elizabeth Warren elected, which is, I think the markets are assigning a good, you know, 20, 20 30 percent probability to that. Um, you, you could have a problem uh, where, you know, have very anti-business government um, and um, new regulations and, and, a, and a hike in taxes. You know, again, the probability of that is relatively low because uh, it's unlikely that the Senate will turn Democrat and, or, or particularly have a, a majority, a super majority in the Senate to pass some, some uh, draconian laws, but it's a risk. And, and so uh, if you get somebody like Elizabeth Warren, you know, um, moving ahead in, in, the, in the polls and so on, you could have some jitters about that. But it's not an immediate issue. It's it's more you're talking about you know two years down the road, three years down the road when when that that could, could become a, a problem for for the markets and the economy. What about U.S. government debt and the growing deficit? Yeah. In the in the in the intermediate term, um, you know that has been. Fiscal stimulus and, and government spending has been great for economic growth, right? Uh, whereas other countries embraced austerity, the U.S. Uh, has been has been spending and cutting taxes, and so uh, it's been it's been good for growth. Um, obviously, we're borrowing from the future, uh, but uh, nobody it, nobody seems to be worried about this. You know, you, both parties seem to be okay with uh, rapidly rising deficits and so on. Ultimately, we come back to, you know, to haunt the U.S. in the years to come. But you're talking about a decade from now where, uh, you know, the government is unable to spend on, on certain programs and, and you, you're basically your um, um, required spending starts to dominate. Um, interest expenses become outrageous. So all of that is going to happen. Uh, but for now talking in the next couple of years, uh, it's not an issue. So I, so I have to put you on the spot. At one of our previous, uh, previous webinars, probably about a year or so ago, um, I think that you said you, you're, you were um, forecasting a recession, I believe, in 2021, and you thought it would be shallow. Yeah. You still feel the same way. I don't think so. I, I think the uh, we we the, the kind of the mini cycles of um, uh, that we've had recently. I think that they kind of replace this recession. If you look at what the Fed has done, most people thought the Fed is going to continue tightening through next year, and uh, and ultimately it's going to result in a recession the following year or late next year. But the Fed stopped. It stopped early this year. And then started cutting, and nobody expected that. Um, and once that happened, it changed the game. Basically, you know, given that inflation remains low for now, uh, the Fed may be on hold for a while. And um, and so, you know, with rates low, even even with the trade tensions simmering, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna hit a recession, um, you know, next year or the following year. So, uh, you know, obviously there are risks to, to this, but uh, you know, I think uh, the forecasters were, were not right about, uh, you know, a near-term near recession. So, you know, the situation's changed. Is it because they based it on, some, on fundamentals that, that are no longer relevant? They're no longer in place. They, they, they were concerned that inflation will keep rising and the Fed will keep tightening. Um, you know, so rates will rise and push the economy into a recession. This inflation inflation situation has been shocked everybody. Uh, you know, inflation remains subdued. It's there. You know, we still have, you know, we have one and a half to two percent inflation. Um, but it's not rising as fast as, 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 as people were, were concerned that it will. People said, look, the labor market is really tight. The unemployment rate is really low. 
So inflation's got to spike. It's the Phillips curve, right? It's just a very simple sort of thing. But that hasn't happened. And so because it hasn't happened, it allowed the Fed to pause and actually reduce rates so it's not pushing the, um, the economy into recession. On the strong job market. All right, love. This was this was great. Uh, uh, we had a big crowd here today. Thank you very much for the questions. Um, thanks for this for this um, you know for the in in depth you know coverage of this topic. Uh, uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks, John. So everybody, uh, you know, thanks very much. Um, we will be sending out in the next day or so a follow-up uh, regarding today's webinar along with the slides and replay. And if anyone has any further questions, please feel free to email them to us at webinars at starmountaincapital.com. And uh, we will be uh, um, uh, sending out emails within the next few weeks regarding our next uh, our, our upcoming webinars. Lev, thanks a lot. And uh, everybody have a good rest of the week.